Well, thank you all of you who prayed for me. I, I felt them. We've had two difficult years, haven't we? Are you ready for some change? So am I. You might even see a bit of my humor tonight in the first lie discussed. So let's dive right in. Our purpose in discussing lies women believe about themselves is that we need to have a correct view of God and his word so that we will rightly discern and counsel our own hearts when thinking about ourselves as it relates to our growth in Christ. Can you hear me? I... The first lie is, I need to love myself more. Why would anyone say that? Have you ever said that? I have, although maybe not in those words. The world says it. There was a song that came out in the mid-60s. It was a big hit, and it was called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It was by the Rolling Stones, and it says, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, oh, no, 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 I can't get no, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) They were quite deep thinkers and literary geniuses back in that day. He goes on to say he's riding in his car, he's listening to the radio, and all he hears is useless information, no satisfaction. And he repeats his mantra. Then he's watching TV and he sees someone trying to sell him something. No satisfaction. He travels around the world and people are asking for his autograph because now he's a famous rock star. No satisfaction. Finally, he's going after women. And you guessed it. No satisfaction. What is going on with him? 1 John 2.16 is going on with him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Poor Mick Jagger is like everyone else, looking for answers in all the wrong places. Man's inclination is to look to himself and everywhere else for love and satisfaction. In 1968, a Broadway musical came out called Golden Rainbow. One of the songs in the musical was called, I Gotta Be Me. Some of the lyrics read, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in this world or never belong, I gotta be me. I've gotta be me. What else can I be but what I am? That faraway prize, a world of success, is waiting for me if I heed the call. I won't settle down, won't settle for less, as long as there's a chance that I can have it all. There are 13 I's and me's in basically five sentences. It's all about me and my need to find myself. Before salvation, I went through some of those thoughts. I bought into the theory that life is what you make it, and that was defined by standards of secular society. You worked hard to become a better person. How? The right education the right job, the right friends, right appearance, right place to live, etc. The philosophy was then and now that self-love and happiness are created. My dreams were to find a good job, have a nice car, 
get married, have a house and family, grandchildren, and live the good life. Travel the world. Those dreams weren't all bad until they became my only heart's desire. Well, you know how that turned out. I married too late for children and obviously no grandchildren, and I've never been out of the continental United States. (laughs) What are the two basic problems with this lie? First, the premise is wrong. A false scriptural premise or basis leads to wrong thinking or conclusions. We don't feel worthless, discontent, without satisfaction, depressed, unsuccessful, guilty, etc., because we don't love ourselves enough. We feel that way because we're sinners separated from a holy God. We must not love ourselves more, but we must deny ourselves and follow Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 to 26, If anyone would could after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 describes our current world. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That says it all. We see all these things today. We were born in sin. There is nothing in us that we can make good. There is no understanding of our true state without God. His person and holiness to be worshipped, his thoughts, desires, sovereignty, are not acknowledged or understood. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. There is darkness, lack of wisdom, lack of direction with only the self to rely upon. A second problem with loving ourselves more is that wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings and often adverse results. How do we normally operate under ourselves when our thinking is wrong? Usually it's by our feelings. Feelings are products of our thoughts or our heart. That is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So feelings come from our heart and the opinions or assumptions that we are dwelling upon based upon the circumstances that we are experiencing. If we don't know Christ, or even if we do, we battle our thought lives, which dictate our feelings, and which are often directed toward ourselves. Cinda was big on this principle and biblical heart thought, if you recall. She gave a couple of talks using this truth on how we process the issues of life. They were excellent and truly a foundational understanding because Satan will battle us with lies based upon our thinking. For example, I see me, who I love, because the Bible said no man hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. And with the circumstance around me, no matter what it is, I process it it through the lens of me and my thoughts. 
which if not based upon truth, which comes from God, will merely always lead me astray. Mark 7:21 says, For from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts. This is so important that I'd like to give you something to remember so that when you're tempted to or are basing your feelings upon your wrong thoughts rather than on the word of God, you will immediately remember how futile and ridiculous it is. Change direction and look to the Lord in prayer and in his word. Look to the screen. my humor i thought that was hysterical (laughs) that sarcastically portrays the humor of the feelings of man so what is the truth the truth is we need to know god and love him more salvation through christ leads to love from and for the father john 16 27 said for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that i come from the father Our only hope of loving the Father is through the Son. I'm sure you'll hear about that from the appropriately named faith. Faith in Jesus changes everything. When I opened my heart to the call of God, the desires to look to myself for satisfaction began to disappear. Becoming a better person involved knowing what God said a better person was. That only happens through knowing his Son through his word. Let's look more about loving God and his love. First, loving God is a command. In fact, this is the greatest commandment, and it's written at the top of your page. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. God wants us to know and walk with him. God's love is given through the Holy Spirit, not created by ourselves. It is a gift through faith in Christ. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We cannot rightly love ourselves without knowing God because love comes from God. The love that I, Mick Jagger, and the other guy was trying to create for ourselves was not love at all. It was pride and accomplishments. I did not know true love. God's love is inseparable from us once received. It is forever. Romans 8.37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? And you know the rest. God's love is perfected in us by abiding in Christ. 1 John 2.5 But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Loving God leads to loving others. 
God's love is validated in us if we love one another. Or put another way, if we don't love, we don't know God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And 1 John 4, 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love is to be shared with other believers. And this is a commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus, and love one another. Our body demonstrated this to our family, Gary and myself, when we had COVID. Many, uh, several people brought us food, and they, they really lavished us with good meals. And that showed love to the members of the body. God's love directs us to give preference to others over ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10:24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's an unbeliever. And then be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's to a believer. First was on, this one is a believer. Out salvation, Jesus and people became my focus. As a nurse's aide while in nursing school, I was fervent for opportunities to share the gospel with those patients who were ill, frightened, and lost. My worth or self-esteem was found in Jesus, who died for me so I could really live and share him. The total opposite of this truth is the name-it-and-claim-it thinking, which started out in the mid-60s with Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. As people have become more self-focused, that has now been ramped up with Joe Olstein, Looks Like the Secret and the Shack. Know what you want, believe you can get it, visualize you have it, then speak it out. That's scary stuff. If you have bought into this philosophy, and it's everywhere in secular society, know that it's again focusing on oneself and totally not loving God. To recount, loving ourselves more is built on a faulty premise that we can produce love in ourselves. But Jesus said we must die to ourselves. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14:27. Loving ourselves, residing in pride and often sin, is fruitless and based upon how we feel, which comes from our thoughts, from our heart, which deceive us. If we believe John 3.16, confess our sin and trust Christ's payment and follow him, we will no longer be separated from God, and he will send his Holy Spirit to live within and through us. Then and only then will we have the truth, love, wisdom, and power of God in us to live rightly and work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to love others. The second lie, I can't help the way I am, or I've always been this way principle. This lie is half true. Because we're all dead in our sin before salvation, we can't help the way we are. But what is being said here is there's no chance of change for me. I'm a victim of my circumstances. Some of the excuses are, I am the way I am because I was raised this way. I save everything. My parents went through the Depression and World War II. I was taught to use as little as possible of anything and everything. Tape, paper, soap, etc. 
I learned to care gently for everything I received, and I saved all useful items and still do. In fact, I still have a few clothes from my university years because, after all, they might come back in style and they're made better than the clothes that are made today. (laughs) Now, my husband is different and more reasonable. He worked with a lot of paper at one time, and sometimes he uses letter-quality, unused copy paper as scrap paper. To me, that's a huge infraction on justice. Of course, I have tons of scrap paper that I've saved just for that very purpose, scrap. To him, occasional good paper is expendable, but to me, never. It should be used in a proper way because I was raised that way. I am the way I am because of my circumstances. I used to have a terrible time with monthly hormonal imbalances. My moods would go from happy to snappy, in seconds. I could not help that my husband didn't understand these truly biological, uncontrollable, labile hormonal changes. After all, women know more about hormones than men. I have reactive hypoglycemia. When my glucose or sugar drops, I get shaky and my nerves are on edge. Again, happy to snappy in seconds. Not my fault. It's the physiological change in my glucose level, the physical circumstances. Or I become anxious and irritable because I'm busy or I forget to take care of things and I'm not responsible because I have too many things to do. It's not my fault. It's the circumstances. How about I'm born the way I am because... No, I am the way I am because it's just me or maybe because of you. I am an emotional person. When I become excited about something, I get louder because I'm really feeling this thing I'm telling you. I don't even know I'm doing it. When I have a strong, divergent opinion about something, I raise my voice and my tone and voice inflections change like, but I thought. My husband has some hearing impairment in one ear and often mistakes what I say or doesn't hear me. Or he'll answer by guessing what I said. Sometimes I talk louder so he can hear me, or sometimes I become impatient with him and my voice tone and inflection changes above. He might tell me to lower my voice if I'm excited about something I'm telling him, or he might rebuke me for my improper tone if I'm exasperated. Wasn't he the one who can't hear? And don't I have a right to be upset at his guessing what I say? Isn't it his fault that he won't take care of his hearing problem? It's not my fault that the Lord gave me excitable emotions and not my fault he can't hear. It's just my personality and his problem. What is the truth? I am responsible for the way I am. Micah 6.8 said, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I can choose to submit to Christ and to be changed into his likeness. Am I saying that I'm responsible for things I've been taught and believed all my life? But being responsible for taking care of things and not being wasteful is a good thing. It's green responsibility. But my feelings, based upon my thoughts, can lead to selfishness, irrational thinking, miserly behavior, and conflict. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Conceit is defined as excessive pride in oneself. I was and can be pretty proud of using so little of items and taking care of my clothes for so long. But pride is a sin, and even beneficial actions mean nothing if they cause me to think I do things better than someone else. Could others have benefited from those clothes before they went out of style? Did or do I have a sin of selfishness? Miserable comes from the word miser. I can tell you that I'm often miserable sifting through many saved items that I really don't need. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 say, says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can choose to follow and trust God through his word given to us. Or I can choose the ways of our culture, what was taught by secular society, or what I was taught about saving out of fear. I can submit to Christ and remember that all I have, or will ever have, has or will come from him. He promises to take care of us as he cares for the sparrows. I can be changed into his likeness because he has given me all I need for life and godliness through his divine power by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Second thing is Christ is my power to walk above my sinful flesh and my circumstances. What about my circumstances of hormones and sugar imbalances or anything else that seemed to be out of my control? Scripture tells us several things. I can do it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We say we can't. God says we can. Who are we going to believe? The key is submission to the Spirit of God. MacArthur says regarding Micah 6.8, which was... What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Is talking about a spiritual commitment of the heart that brings about right behavior. We can't do it in the flesh because there's no power in our sinful flesh to do good. But if we are saved, we can walk by the Spirit. We can rise above our circumstances and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Second, I can be confident that my circumstances are not unique. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. Surely other people have hormonal challenges and sugar imbalances. There is encouragement in knowing that others are not, that experiences are not new and that the Lord will give us the ability to overcome them. For me, keeping in the word daily and knowing scripture were my hormonal refuge. I can be sure that I eat properly, and if I feel my glucose level dropping, I now try to carry food with me so that I don't get to the snappy stage. It's much easier to prevent a problem than to fix one. Third, I am a new person in Christ. Scripture says that the old things have passed away. Regarding my emotions becoming loud and excited, we are to have quiet and gentle spirits, which are precious to the Lord. 
First Peter 3, 4 says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. It is natural for me to express myself with excitement. But my husband grew up in a household where that did not occur. It seems to overstimulate them and his family. So I'm to honor his wishes and try to expect myself, express myself in ways counter to my personality. And perhaps I need to heed the quiet and gentle spirit command. Regarding my voice inflections and tone, Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Scripture tells me to be patient and kind and that I can have power over my desire to sin in an impatient, disrespectful, and unkind way. Ephesians 4:22 to 24 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Gary and I try to get away someplace warm during the winter. We spent a week last year in Florida. Um, through a timeshare my we inherited from my parents, and don't get me started on that. While there, there was a big fight next door, and we were awakened during the night with someone slamming into the wall and screaming, and it, it, it was terrible, as was this place. I never wanted to go back there, and I told Gary. Last night, and this was last night, he was making reservations again, and I re-expressed my opinion of that place. So he found a different place and hurriedly made the reservations as he was on his way to the elder meeting, running late. When I looked at the receipt after he left, it was the same place again, the ghetto. I had a choice. Was I going to react? But I thought complain, be ungrateful, rail on him for making a mistake, or was I going to walk in the spirit? Was I going to have a form of godliness but deny its power because I wanted what I wanted? Thankfully, I was giving this talk, and I chose to respond rightly. (laughs) I put off the old self and put on the new. We can submit to the spirit and love and obey God if we walk with him. The last lie, I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings or desires. Get ready, we always will. We'll always have unfulfilled desires, especially for heaven when all things will be made right. Romans 8, 23 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemptions of our body. Not having to live with them is a lie. If we're not careful, we'll fall into the world's trap that we should have all that our hearts desire on earth. So, what do we do? I make what I want happen. Because we have more choices than ever and worldly solutions whispered in our ears, 
we can become discontent, impatient, resentful, anxious, depressed, and even angry when things don't go our way or we don't have what we want. We can purchase anything we want if we have the funds. If not, we find a way to get it. We can push our wrong thoughts on others. What about ignoring our parents' counsel? If Dad says, I can't do this, I'll do it anyway. I'll find a way to get it done. What if our husband says no to a desire, but we do it anyway? When Gary got home last night, I said, I will call the, I, I can call the timeshare place and try to make this right. He said no. I really wanted to do that. <laughs> I could have gone ahead and done it while he was at work today. But, I, but he said no. If I want this, I'll do that. You name it, what it could be. I didn't do it, by the way. I can fulfill my desires through someone or something else. When we can't get what we want ourselves, sometimes we look to someone or something other than God to fulfill our desires. We are discontent single or have an unhappy single life at home, so we run ahead of God and find any man to fulfill our desires for intimacy or companionship. We're married, and our husband doesn't seem to be like those husbands someone else has. We want him like this, but he's like that. We begin to think that we deserve a better man or someone different. Or we see someone on TV or a sports person or actor, a person that we wish we could be like. So we model our behavior, our dress, our speech, our goals after them to fulfill a longing to be different than we are. What is all of this called? Idolatry and covetousness. Because of the deceitfulness of sin, the human heart always wants more. We try to satisfy our longings with ourselves or someone else. We will even rebel to get it. Finite man can never satisfy finite man. 1 Corinthians 3.20 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless or futile. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. He reigned over 43 years and was considered the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire. He was powerful, wealthy, and had great influence. He conquered Judah and Jerusalem. Yet in all this, his pride took him to a field eating grass with hair-like feathers and fingernails like bird claws before he recognized the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. What is the truth? My life will be fulfilled by loving God. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 51, 6 says, Behold, you God, desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden parts you make me know wisdom and to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with him. Here is the point. Will we find our longings met in the world or in God? Where is our heart during unexpected circumstances, shattered dreams, sinful actions in us or others producing pain, depression, accountability, anger? 
When I was saved, my happiness was wrapped up in sharing Christ, and I was on top of the world. But now, years later, earthly reality hits with the above questions. Do I still delight to do God's will, knowing that my joy comes from my forgiven sins and eternal hope? Hebrews 12.2 said, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus endured knowing his Calvary sacrifice would settle sin for us and fulfill God's purpose, and it was joy to him. Do I love God or spurn his sacrifice when dreams are not met? Here's where I mean, you know, I always cry in this at least one time. A few weeks ago, in an unplanned sinful instant, oh, gee. with a slight nod of my head at an inappropriate time for a desire I had, I immediately suffered broken fellowship with God, a person I sinned against. I felt remorse and, frankly, embarrassment at my actions. Yes, eventually and thankfully, the Holy Spirit led me to my repentance and to the restoration that grace and forgiveness provide, but not first without godly sorrow. Do I rebel at trials, not seeing them joyfully as producing endurance and validating my faith? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In rebelling or disobeying, God says I have a corrupt seeking of knowledge, as in witchcraft, and I forsake using God's wisdom. Insubordination or stubbornness is as idolatry. When I idolize a desire, want what I want, Am I an idolater? God says that I am. Obedience under pressure or assault, respect, not being stubborn, is better than the aroma of sacrifice to God. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. So I must always ask myself, do I really love God and have the faith to obey him in all circumstances? Alexander McLaren writes, Faith is the foundation of righteous character which determines the acceptableness of worship. I want my character to match my righteousness bought by Christ. What do faith and fulfillment of life entail? Waiting on the Lord will lead to his desires in us. Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord." Psalm 37:5, "Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act." In my example, to have a husband or to have a man who is loving and kind and who listens or to be really good at a calling are not wrong desires, but sometimes those do not happen immediately at all or as we planned. 
Am I recognizing that in his sovereignty, all things in my life have been ordained by a loving God who cares that I grow into his likeness? When our minds are set upon Christ, when we love God, he will direct our steps and make our paths straight. Most of you know that I did not get married until I was 51 years old. I had many ideas of the perfect man, but I remember praying fervently, Lord, if it is your desire that I be married, I ask one thing, that you give me a godly man who loves the Lord and who is a strong spiritual leader. I purposely left out all of the other superficial characteristics that I had always sought. God answered that prayer for me and gave me his choice. What more could any woman have in an answer but God's choice? When we pray in God's will, we can know that his way is perfect, no matter the outcome and no matter how long it takes. Psalm 107.9 said, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. When we walk humbly and obediently with the Lord, our desires align with his, and our soul is satisfied. Finally, focusing on the Lord will bring peace to our hearts. A peaceful heart comes from focusing on him and is perfectly content, is not anxious or wanting, and is at rest. A peaceful heart knows the Lord. The question that I was asked that directed my thoughts heavenward and toward salvation was, do you know the Lord? Have you put your trust in Jesus as the satisfactory payment for your sin? John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Second, a peaceful heart loves God's word. Psalm 119, 165 said, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Abiding in the word leads to truth, which sets us free from sin and gives us peace. Third, a peaceful heart trusts God's righteous character. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Isaiah 26.3 A peaceful heart is guarded by God in Christ. Do not be anxious for everything, anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The truth is, in loving God, he will fulfill our life with his truth and wisdom as we wait on him, and he will give us the desires of his heart, which leads to peace and contentment, which is great gain. I'd like to close with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot, found in the Lies Women Believe book. It's too good not to share. She writes, I had been praying for something I wanted very badly. It seemed a good thing to have, a thing that would make life even more pleasant than it is, and it would not in any way hinder my work. God did not give it to me. Why? I do not know all of his reasons, of course. The God who orchestrates the universe has a good many things to consider that have not occurred to me, and it is well that I leave them to him. But one thing I do understand, 
He offers me holiness at the price of relinquishing my own will. Do you honestly want to know me, he asks. I answer, yes. Then do what I say, he replies. Do it when you understand it. Do it when you don't understand it. Take what I give you. Be willing not to have what I do not give you. The very relinquishment of this thing that you so urgently desire is a true demonstration of the sincerity of your lifelong prayer, thy will be done. So instead of hammering on heaven's door for something which is now quite clear God does not want me to have, I make my desire an offering. The longed-for thing is material for sacrifice. Here, Lord, it's yours. He will, I believe, accept the offering. He will transform it into something redemptive. He may perhaps give it back as he did Isaac to Abraham, but he will know that I fully intend to obey him. In conclusion, don't fall prey to sin's deceit. The three takeaways are on the back of your sheet. Loving God and his word produces love for others and trumps feelings which can lead us in a sinful direction. Second, the Holy Spirit can control... Sure. Loving God and his word produces love for others and trumps feelings which can lead us in a sinful direction. The Holy Spirit can control our actions even when tempted. And number three, our life will be fulfilled when we are loving God and walking with him. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Sue. Boy, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? Um, right now is the time where we're going to have discussion at your table. And it looks like all our tables are pretty full. We don't have to uh, shuffle ourselves around at all. So your hostess will lead you in the discussion suggested questions. And then after about 15 minutes or so, I'll come around and Get the highlights from each of your tables. Okay? Go to it, ladies.